We have an anchor. The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. The rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. And now, Mike Hickson. There are a lot of great blessings that we enjoy as God's people. And yet it seems to me that one of the greatest blessings that God has given each of us is the opportunity to bow in prayer to Him, to communicate, to make known our wants and wishes, to express our thanksgiving, to acknowledge Him as the God and Savior of our life. I want to begin tonight by, first of all, talking about some of the problems that are associated with prayer or with our prayer life. And I want to begin by calling attention to chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. There are some hindrances that seem to plague a prayer life, and I want to just isolate a couple of the problems that James talks about in verses 2 and 3. First of all, he talks about the danger of forgetting to pray. The idea here is don't be forgetful. The song we sang a moment ago, You Left Your Room This Morning, did you think to pray? We ought to express thanksgiving to God each and every morning. That God has blessed us with another day of life. And yet sometimes, for whatever reason, we fail to pray. Maybe we forget to pray. The psalmist in the long ago said, Evening, morning, and noon will I pray and cry aloud in Psalm 55. Let me just cite for you some reasons why quite possibly we forget to pray. Number one, it might be the case that we're too busy. Now I understand that these are merely excuses that we use. And I would grant that all of us are typically busy on a daily basis. But here's the question. Are we too busy to pray? The answer no. We ought to make time to pray. And there are certain things, spiritually speaking, that we ought to do on a daily basis. We ought to rope off time to do them. All of us understand the great privilege of prayer. And yet there are a lot of folks in the church that sometimes get so busy, so consumed with life, they forget to pray. You remember Jesus told a parable in Luke chapter 12 of a farmer whose barns were overflowing. And he said, this will I do, I'll pull down my barns and build greater. Now we could make a case that this guy was busy, that he was running, as we would say, from can to cane. And there are many of us that find ourselves running on a daily basis. And it seems as if we have no time to do the things that we would like to do. And yet surely we can rope off some time to pray to God. And then there are some that maybe forget to pray because they're too blessed. Someone has observed in the past that we typically do better in life when we face hardship rather than prosperity. There are a lot of people in the world today, there are some people in the church Things are going well, life is going well, everything seems to be running as planned. 
And so as we would say, life is good. So we don't think about praying. We don't need God. At least that's the sentiments reflected when we forget to pray because we're too blessed. You know, the Bible says that every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights. God has bountifully blessed each of us. The psalmist said, Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits or blessings. The rich farmer that I was talking about a moment ago. You recall the Lord said on that occasion, His attitude, eat, drink, bottom line, enjoy life. Life is good. The only problem, he didn't realize that his life would end. And so Jesus concluded that parable in verse 21 by talking about those who are rich toward the world and not toward God. Sometimes we can have so much and life can be so good that we forget about God. And so we, we ride this wave of prosperity and forget about the Lord. Then there's a third reason why I believe sometimes people forget to pray. And that is they're too burdened. Now, I would grant that it's hard to understand how somebody could forget to pray when the burdens of life are overwhelming. Yet sometimes people do. They're so bowed down with the cares and the anxieties and the trials and tribulations of life that they just forget to pray. And yet, isn't it the case that when we face hardship and the burdens of life that we ought to dig deeper? And pray more earnestly. You remember Jesus in Luke 22 verse 44. As he prayed in the shadow of the cross. The Bible says and being in agony. He prayed more earnestly. I don't get how some people can forget to pray. When times are tough. Most people when times are tough. They pray. but Some forget to pray. And then there is a fourth reason why. Folks sometimes forget to pray. And that is they're too bitter. You go back and you look at James chapter 1, and James said, Count it all joy when you fall into manifold trials or various trials. In that context, he has in mind the various trials that are common to all people, trials that are outward in nature, anything from sickness or disease to illness, the loss of a job, a financial reversal, the loss of a loved one. The list could go on and on. Sometimes the difficulties of life tend to lead to bitterness, disappointment. Some folks become so bitter at their state in life, they're angry with God. I think about Job in Job chapters 1 and 2. And Job lost a lot of very important things. He lost his family. He lost his wealth. He lost his health. The Bible says in chapter 2 of Job that his own wife failed to be supportive of him. She encouraged him, curse God and die. You get the impression that maybe there was some bitterness there with her. But Job refused to do that. And Job said in chapter 13 verse 15, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. There are some folks that become so bitter and so angry with the circumstances of life, they forget to pray. There's a second problem that I want to just call attention to. In James chapter 4, in verse 2, James had said, You do not have because you do not ask. In verse 3, he said, 
You ask and do not receive. And why is that? Because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. The second problem associated with prayer has to do with foolishness. And really what James is saying is, number one, don't be forgetful. And number two, don't be foolish. There's the danger of praying selfishly rather than submissively. You ever thought about how sometimes we go to God in prayer and we ask Him very specifically for certain things. And yet our prayers are offset by what we need rather than what we want. Is it not the case that God knows best what we need? Think, for example, of what Paul had to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You remember in that context, the Bible says that a thorn of Satan had been given unto him to buffet him because of the abundance of revelations that he had received. And so regarding this thorn in the flesh, he said he pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart. What did the Lord say? The Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Sometimes we think we know what's best, but ultimately God knows what's best. Sometimes in our prayer lives we ask for this and that. We have the idea that we need a certain thing. A certain circumstance to come to pass, things don't work out that way. When we pray, we ought to be like Jesus, who in the Garden of Gethsemane prayed three times, not my will, but your will be done. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 5 at verse 7 that Jesus prayed unto the Father earnestly, who in the days of his flesh offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears, unto him that was able to save him, save him from death. The writer says he was heard in that he feared. Jesus, as he faced the cross, could pray to the Father, if there is any other way that your will can be accomplished, let it come to pass. God's will ultimately prevailed. When we pray, we ought to pray that God's will will triumph our will. John said, this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. James said in verse 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss. Sometimes, as I said a moment ago, our prayers are self-centered. And ultimately, God knows what's best. Let's talk for a minute now about the privileges associated with prayer life. I really believe that it is an honor to be able to go before the throne of God in prayer. You ever thought about the great honor it is? There are people around our world, around the globe, that have a lot of clout. And they have a little black book and they can pick that book up and they have some very, very important, sometimes famous, powerful people. And they can call them at any time, night or day, let me tell you what, as a child of God, did you know that we have the opportunity to call upon the creator of heaven and earth? There is no one any more powerful than the God before whom we pray. To know that we can bow in his presence and that he will hear us. 
I want you to look with me at chapter 5 now. And the first thing I want to think about with you for just a moment is the right to pray. Prayer is a great spiritual blessing. There are a number of spiritual blessings. Paul said in Ephesians 1.3 that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. One of those blessings, by all means, is prayer. Peter said the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. His ears are open unto their prayers. Did you know that God desires that His people pray? Did you know that God wants you to pray to Him? He wants to hear from you. If you have children, typically you want to hear from them, don't you? Now I know sometimes parents, the only time they hear from their children is when they need something. And it may be the case that the only time our Heavenly Father ever hears from us is when we need something. But that ought not be the case. God wants us to pray. Jesus taught in Luke 18, 1 that men ought to always pray. Paul said that we are to pray without ceasing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. He would further teach that we are to continue steadfastly in prayer, watching therein with thanksgiving. Jesus said that we are to ask, to seek, to knock. We ought to be people of prayer. And we ought to have enough confidence in our prayer life that we believe God hears us and acts accordingly, according to His will. So yes, God desires for His people to pray. But there's a second thing, and that is God delights in our prayers. To know that our God, the one who created this world, that fashioned us in His own image and likeness, the very God that gave His Son so that we might enjoy everlasting life, God delights in our prayers. Now you just stop and think about that. It doesn't matter who you are, what your lot in life is, it doesn't matter if you're young or old, if you're rich or poor, if you have an education, if you don't have an education. It doesn't matter if you're black or white. The bottom line is God delights in hearing from you. There's a great passage in Proverbs chapter 15 in verse 8. Solomon said that the prayer of the upright is his delight. God wants to hear from you. Now, you know, telephones are amazing today, and cell phones are amazing. And they have today what we call caller ID. So when somebody calls you, you can tell automatically who's calling. You ever have a call come in and a name pop up, and your first thought is, I really don't want to talk to them right now. Now, I know you wouldn't think that. There are some folks that can wear your phone out. And there are some people you delight. You delight to hear from them. God always delights to hear from His people. Now think about that for a minute. Wherever you are in life, whatever your circumstance, God wants to hear from you. I don't care if you're, in, if you're, at, if you're on the North Pole, South Pole, if you're to the east or to the west, it doesn't matter. God wants to hear from you. And to know that God, God not only wants to hear from you, but He attentively listens to you. That's another thing. You know, some folks, you can talk to them, and it's, it's like the light's on, but nobody's home. 
You really don't know if they're listening or not. That's not the case with God. God hears every syllable, every single word. And, and to know that the creator of the universe is willing to give me his time, that he's willing to hear me, and that he wants to hear me, you tell me what greater honor is there than that? To know that I have the ear of Almighty God and that he is listening, that he is hanging on every single word. You can't buy that kind of a blessing. There's not enough money to purchase that kind of blessing. What about some reasons why we ought to pray? James, I believe, talks about some valid reasons why we as his people, that is God's people, ought to want to pray. So look with me in verse 13. He begins by asking this question. Is any among you suffering? Listen to how he answers that. Three words. Let him pray. Now just think about that for a minute. James said, is any among you suffering? Here's, here's, here's the remedy. Here's the antidote. Let him pray. Why do you think that is? Oh, because there's power in prayer. We'll talk about that in a minute. But to know that we can bow before the throne of heaven when we are suffering. Some of God's greatest, best, and noblest saints have bowed before his throne when they have suffered the most. I mentioned a moment ago the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 when he said that he had a thorn in his flesh. And he besought the Lord three times that it would depart. And the Lord responded by saying, My grace is sufficient for you. Don't you think Paul was suffering? I think he was suffering a lot. And then there's a second reason connected to suffering. Look at verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? James said, Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Now, elders of the church are pastors, they're bishops, they are overseers. They have the responsibility of tending to the flock, caring for the flock, of knowing the flock. And there is, I think, an implication here that they know the flock to the point that the church is comfortable calling them and asking them to pray on their behalf. Now, I think in this context, these elders probably had Miraculous power, the laying on of the apostles' hands, quite possibly was present on the occasion that James here talks about. Because he said, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, oil in ancient times had medicinal purposes. You think about the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. You remember the fellow that had fallen among thieves, the good Samaritan, poured oil on his wounds. And so quite possibly, medicinally speaking, this oil was used in that context. In verse 15, he said, The prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Now, as I mentioned a moment ago, the apostles had the ability to impart spiritual gifts in the first century through the laying on of their hands. And you can read about that in the book of Acts. But nonetheless, the Bible talks about the power of prayer. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. But in verse 15, the Bible speaks of the sick being restored to health. 
He goes on to say if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. I think sometimes during sickness, illness, disease, the difficulties of life, it becomes a prompter encouraging people to think about their spiritual life. And of course in verse 16 he talks about confessing your trespasses, your faults to one another, praying for one another. And so a third reason why we ought to pray would be because of sin. God's people have the assurance that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In this context, here's somebody who is sick. They call for the elders of the church. The elders come. They apply oil, medicinally speaking. They pray for this brother or sister. There is a restoration of health, physically speaking, but there is also, more importantly, a restoration of spiritual health. One of the great blessings that we have as children of God is praying for one another. We can acknowledge our faults, our shortcomings. We can ask people to pray with us and for us with the assurance that God will abundantly pardon. And so to know that as a child of God, now James here is writing to Christians. We understand that in order to become a child of God, we have to put our faith and trust in Jesus. Jesus said, except you believe that I'm he, you'll die in your sins. We have to repent of our sins, be immersed in a water or grave of baptism, whereby we contact the blood of Christ that washes away our sins, Acts 22, 16. We are then in fellowship with God and his people because we're a part of the body. So as a child of God, when we stumble, when we fall, when we succumb to temptation, when we get out of harmony with the will of God, what can we do? John said if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. James said confess your faults, confess your trespasses to one another, and pray for one another. Why? That you may be healed. Drop down and look at verses 19 and 20. In verses 19 and 20, James pictures somebody who becomes unfaithful. They wander away. He said, brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth. Now, some translations say err from the truth. That word is spelled E-R-R. -R. And all it means is to wander, to wander away. He's talking about somebody that leaves the faith. They go back into the world. And he said, if they wander from the truth... And someone turns him back or converts that person, brings him back to the Lord. He said, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the air of his ways will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. So here's somebody that has been reclaimed. They're out of service with the Lord. They're out of, out of harmony with his will. They're not living as they should. And James said that when those people are reclaimed, a soul has been saved from death. A multitude of sins have been covered. And that person, person, to use the words of James in verse 16, has been healed. Healed of what? Of their spiritual illness. You see, sin destroys. Sin is devastating. And ultimately, those who live in sin will lose the battle and suffer eternal punishment. That's what James is talking about in verses 19 and 20. And in verse 16, he's saying that that person is healed. By whom? By the great physician. There are two other reasons why we ought to pray, and they go hand in hand. And that is for strength and support. I want to ask you a question. Do you ever need strength? Do you ever need support? 
Sometimes we need strength to make it day by day. Sometimes we just need some support, don't we? We need to know that there is somebody who cares enough about us that will stand by us 24-7 and be there for us. Let me tell you who that person is. It's the Lord. He'll stand by you. Whatever you face in this life, the Lord will stand by you. When Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, again, I think about the words of the Hebrew writer when it says that he offered up prayers and supplications and strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death. And listen to what the writer said. And he was heard in that he feared. God the Father heard the Son. When we need support, strength, to whom can we turn? To the Lord. In chapter 4, verse 16, the writer said that we are to draw boldly unto the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Is that not what Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane? Yes, it is. Can we not do the same? Absolutely. A little later, Peter would say, casting all your care on him, for he cares for you. That's support. That is a built-in support system that every child of God has. The psalmist in Psalm 55 said, cast your burden on the Lord. And what will he do? He will sustain you. He'll not suffer the righteous to be moved. To know that there is a God in heaven. And that God in heaven wants to hear from me. And that God in heaven has the ability to support and strengthen me. Remember what the Lord said to Paul? My strength is made perfect in weakness. The Lord was there for him. He'll be there for us. And then finally... What about the power of prayer? Well, look at verse 16. In verses 16 through 18, first of all, we have an example of an earnest prayer life by a man named Elijah. Listen, if you would, to verses 17 and 18. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. It did not rain on the the land for three years and six months. He prayed again, the heaven gave rain, the earth produced its fruit. Now you can go back and read about that in 1 Kings chapter 17 and chapter 18. The point is, here was a child of God, that is, here was a saint, who earnestly prayed to the Lord. What about the effectiveness of that prayer? He prayed that it wouldn't rain, it didn't rain. Prayed that it would rain, what did it do? It rained. So what's the point? Look at verse 16. The latter part. Here's what James said. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. You know what James is saying there? He's saying prayer works. I suspect that all of us can look back over the course of our lives. And we can pinpoint situations, circumstances, wherein we have prayed to Almighty God. Our hearts have been burdened. We face difficulties and trials or whatever. And we have been on our hands and knees praying to Almighty God. And we can look back at those situations and we can see that God answered those prayers. That He brought us through those storms. All James is saying is, look, you need to believe in the power of prayer. Why? Because it works. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. When we leave here tonight, we need, to, we need to take home with us the fact, and it is a fact, that there is power in prayer. It's a privilege to pray, but I can pray with the assurance, the confidence. Remember what John said? This is a confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. That's confidence. 
That's assurance. So to know that prayer works. Now, in closing, to become a child of God, to know that as one of His children, He'll hear my prayers. If you're not a Christian, if you're not a child of God, could I encourage you to come to Christ tonight? Jesus said, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God's interested in you. And God wants to shower upon you an abundant array of spiritual blessings. And one of those spiritual blessings is the privilege and the power of prayer to know that you can go before His throne day or night, seven days a week, and He'll hear you. That's a great blessing. As I mentioned a moment ago, on Pentecost Day, Peter said, Repent, be baptized. In doing that, you'll enjoy the remission, the forgiveness of your sins. And if you'll be faithful until death, the promise is the crown of life, Revelation 2.10. If you're here tonight and maybe you're not what you ought to be, I want you to know that we'd be happy to pray with you and for you. Just as we read a moment ago, if we confess our trespasses to one another, the assurance is we'll be healed. God will forgive. And God will bring us back into His fellowship to enjoy the fellowship that will never be broken by living for Him day in and day out. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. Fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love.